The year is 2010, and NASA loses its funding for America's manned space exploration program. What does this mean for the future of American space travel? What does this mean for planned trips to the moon and Mars? Welcome to the Super Happy Fun Time Laugh Laugh Mega Resort. That's right, the Japanese get to colonize the moon first, and in true capitalist fashion, they build a mega resort. Enjoy all manner of relaxation experiences, including moon dust mud baths. Want something with a little more exercise in it? How about moon dune skiing or moon golf with a bowling ball? Huh. Well, that's disturbing. Hey, welcome back. This is All Things From My Brain, the podcast. I am author, blogger, and soon-to-be-slave-to-the-basement-spider-overlords, Patrick Hester. Thanks for joining me again for another ride through the stuff that I've found interesting enough that I wanted to share it here with both of you. Uh, keep in mind that I also have the blog, atfmb.com, and the Twitter feed, uh, twitter.com slash atfmb, for, you know, whenever you need a fix from my brain in between these podcasts, which right now are kind of um, few and far between, but I'm, I'm hoping to get better about that. So, uh, which reminds me, this, this is a milestone episode. This is number 10. Uh, no one thought I would get to two, so uh, that's, that's huge. Um, I hope there are many, many, many more podcasts to come, so this is just the first of very many milestones. That's a lot of minis, but I think you get the point. Uh, I just want to go ahead and jump right in today. Uh, first off, I sprained my ankle, so if I sound a little strange, um, that's just weird because ankle has nothing to do with your voice. I swear I'm cursed, though. Uh, I, I managed to fall down the stairs as I was leaving work last Friday. Um, what was it? The, the 26th of February. Sprained my ankle real good. And uh, I am now using crutches to get around. Uh, I'm hobbling around. I've, I've been on um, keep your foot up in the air for a couple days and the ice on and the ice off and all that kind of stuff. Um, I even have my crutches right here if you want to. How's that for special effects, folks? Crutch noises. I hate crutches. I haven't been on crutches since high school, and it sucks. It also sucks because there are stairs here in the new house, um, and getting up and down them on crutches is a challenge and a bit of a workout. Um, so I guess there's a plus side to everything. But to be honest with you, I would have been absolutely screwed in my old condo. The only way in or out was to climb up a very long set of stairs, and, and that just would have sucked. I would have been absolutely trapped. There's no way I could have gone to work or done anything else. I mean, I just would have been screwed. Anyway, uh, off my feet for a couple of days, uh, walking with crutches, and when I do go back to work, um, I'll be on crutches. So uh, it sucks. I have to use an air splint. Um, not my first rodeo with those, unfortunately. Uh, I've had the air splint before as well. Uh, I've also had the full cast uh, all on the same ankle. 
Um, it's just a, like I said, I'm, I'm cursed on this ankle, but I will survive unless I starve, um, because I'm unable to get to the kitchen, uh, in which case I, I won't survive. Maybe I'll lose some weight. I guess you, you kind of always got to look on the bright side of these things. Uh, anyway, one, one of the, one of the big things that I wanted to talk about this week is, is the fact that NASA got hosed budget-wise. Um, hence the the opening sequence. Uh, as you are no doubt aware, I, if you listen to these things, if you've if you've read the blog, I am not a huge fan of NASA these days, and 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 I think I think I have some good reasons for that, and I, and I've talked about them before, so it, that's already out there. I'm not going to rehash it all. You know, it, it's in, it's on the blog. It's in the past podcasts. So if you're interested in any of that. Um, go check it out there. Uh, I, I'm not going to rehash it right now, but I, I do want to take a look at NASA for just a second um, and, and kind of educate us all on who, who they are, what they've done, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So NASA came into being on July 29th, 1958. Um, that's when the National Aeronautics and Space Act was signed by President Eisenhower. See, the Ruskies... The commies, the reds, had put, had put the very first artificial satellite into orbit, which was threatening, threatening our way of life. You know, my God, the Russians had Sputnik, and, and we couldn't have them, you know, up in space and, and doing stuff. Who knows what they were going to do to us? So we needed to get our butts in gear, and we needed to get into space ASAP. And the, 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 the organization that was in place at the time, they just didn't feel was up to the task, so National Aeronautics and Space Act was signed. NASA was tasked with, with getting us into space, making that happen, and, and to be honest, I mean, they, they accomplished it quite well. NASA managed to go from zero to manned space flight very, very quickly. Um, if you look at the, the, the cycle of technology, I mean, they did this very quickly. Um, and they did it through rocket technology. So, you know, rockets, um, which the Germans developed, but we won't talk about that. Uh, Project Mercury was put together to see if humans could survive in space. And in 1961, just three years after NASA came to be, Alan Shepard became the first American in space when he piloted the Freedom 7 on a quick suborbital flight. Um, it just a, a quick, it's like a 15, 20 minute flight. And that was followed very quickly, again, if you, if you look at the technology cycle, very quickly by John Glenn in 62, who became the first American to orbit the Earth, and he was flying Friendship 7. Uh, next came the Gemini project, and that was 10-man missions to space to test what exactly could we do, how far could we go, you know, uh, how much could the human body endure in space, all focused on the goal of putting a man on the moon, which we did. July 20th, 1969, with Apollo 11. Unless, of course, you believe the people who think that that was all staged on a Hollywood set. <clears throat> Whatever. The last Apollo mission to the moon was in December of 71, but the Apollo program continued on through 75, and they did bring us a, a lot of leaps in our understanding of technology, of rockets, spaceflight, uh, avionics, telecommunications, computers. All these things, you know, took huge strides forward driven by the space program and the need to get out there and explore you know we we needed to get into space we needed to get to the moon um it it it, it, it was 
probably a really fun, really great time to be alive and be in those programs. NASA even put up the very first space station, which was Skylab. She was in orbit from 73 to 79, and that provided us with a very unique um, environment and laboratory for studying all sorts of things, you know, including microgravity, solar observations. I think they grew some plants up there to see how, you know, plants grow in, in, in zero gravity. Uh, I, you name it, they did it. And, and again, we sort of reaped the benefits of those experiments here eventually, you know, back on the planet. Throughout the 60s and the 70s, NASA managed a great deal, a, a great deal of things, thanks to the multi-stage rocket technology that they had developed to put people up in space and on the moon. But, you know, they had, they, they weren't stopping there. You know, they had the rockets, the rockets were working, but they were already thinking ahead, already thinking of, you know, what's next? What are we going to do in the 80s? What's going to be different? How can we save money? Um, you know, how can we, we're, we're burning up a lot of stuff, you know, what can we do here? Enter the space shuttle. Um, the problem with the multi-stage rocket was that you, you lost the majority of it every time you did a launch. Um, NASA recognized that they needed something, something different, something that could be reused from mission to mission. They wanted to bring their costs down. They, they wanted to make space travel more safe, more accessible, um, and, and, and they needed to be able to carry more cargo, more testing equipment, more astronauts, more teams of people. You know, they needed to be able to do more when they went up into space. So they needed a different type of craft to get them there. And that's where the space shuttle came in. Um, the first flight was the Columbia. Um, and if you, I don't know if anybody in this who listens to this remembers, but there was also the push by the Star Trek fans to get one of the shuttles named Enterprise. So um, we did actually get an Enterprise. Anyway, Columbia launches in 81. And it, with it, it just sparked the imagination of so many different people. It affected so many different things. I mean, it, it really entered into the pop culture. When they rebooted Buck Rogers on television, um, which was what I just stole for um, the beginning of the podcast, they opened that show with Buck Rogers as an astronaut flying a space shuttle. It looked very, very similar to the space shuttles that, that they were NASA was putting up into space at the time. And, you know, he gets knocked off course, um, returns to Earth hundreds of years later to find, you know, it's a very different place from the one that he left. Um, comic books started using the space shuttle design. Um, novelists began writing about space shuttles. They, they incorporated them into their stories. It, it really reignited a fascination with space travel and expo exploration that was kind of waning a little bit, you know, as you kind of got into the late 70s and early 80s. Probably the most visible incarnations of the space shuttle happened in the movies. Um, they seemed to pop up everywhere. It, it was kind of a cool thing to add into a movie. Um, if you take Moonraker, for example, which was the, the James Bond flick with um, Roger Moore, uh, they had shuttles, you know, helping James Bond and a bunch of soldiers get up into space um, to beat the bad guy on the space station. Isn't that the one where, where they had... Uh, um, I don't know. I don't remember if it was Spectre or not, but they were essentially stealing uh, Russian and American spaceships um, because they had this giant ship with the the maw kind of thing, you know, the mouth that would fly up behind them and swallow them and then take them off. 
Anyway, uh, Moonraker, um, cheesy, cheesy flick now, but but still worth it. Still a lot of fun. Um, anyway, there was also uh, Airplane Two, the sequel, um, which featured a, a, a larger version of the space shuttle. Um, space Camp. God, did I love that movie when it came out. That that movie I just thought was the best ever. Um, that <laughs> I had a lot of fun. That that was a great movie. I, I probably couldn't watch it today and probably kill me. Uh, Farscape, you know, you had um, John Crichton in, in the space shuttle going off through the wormhole. Uh, the movie Life Force, another great movie, um, had you know had a space shuttle in it. Armageddon, if you remember that one, uh, that's a little bit more recent, but uh, you know they had the two space shuttles going up to destroy the the. Uh, was it an asteroid or a meteor? I always get those confused. Anyway, it was coming towards Earth and it was going to destroy us. It was a, it was a planet killer. Same thing with was a deep impact. I, I, the list goes on and on and on of the space shuttle appearing in movies. Um, so they, they, they definitely, definitely had an impact on us, on pop culture, um, on the imagination of a lot of writers and creators of, of all kinds of different media and content. But that didn't really, I mean, it didn't last. The interest in the American public, just the general public, it began to wane. Um, launches and missions, they just weren't newsworthy anymore. It was the same old, same old, you know, it became routine. Men and women going into orbit, oh, they're going to do stuff that no one particularly cares for, um, nor do we really understand why they're doing it. Um, I, I, you know, we'd rather find out what Tiger Woods is doing in, 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 in his divorce and cheating with his wife and all that kind of crap. It, 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 it sort of became NASA in general a fringe thing, you know, nerds like me were wondering, I mean, we were just awestruck by the images coming back from Hubble made possible thanks to shuttle missions. You know, they, they sent the shuttles up several times, um, to fix mirror problems, do maintenance, extend the life of the dang thing. Um, but again, just the general American people, they don't really think about it. They don't really care about it. There, there were other things to distract them now. And, you know, the sort of patriotic fervor that, that drove us to space to make American, you know, to make space American, that, that was long gone. People just had other problems now, and, and they didn't particularly care, and, and NASA suffered because of that. In the 90s and into 2000 and beyond, there, there were rumors, you know, of, of what was to come next. There were images on websites, you know... Uh, radio shows, podcasts, people talking about, you know, all these different kinds of things that were going to come. Oh, they're working on the next, you know, the next phase. Um, but nothing really came, nothing of substance ever came of any of those. Um, nothing from those rumors, nothing that engaged us as a country uh, the way it had in the past. And the years continued to roll on, and the space shuttles got older. We had tragedies in, in the beginning. You know, we had we had Challenger, and then we had Columbia. Um, and these disasters called into question the safety of space travel, and and is it really worth it? Um, as a people, we, we began to look at the shuttle program, and we looked at the cost of both. Um, the dollar amounts that were being spent and the human life that was at risk or was lost, and we started to wonder collectively, is this worth it anymore? The shuttle program had seen its heyday. 
and I think everybody can agree that it was time to move on. Only this time, NASA wasn't ready. It wasn't like the transition from the rockets to the shuttle that we saw from the 60s and 70s to the 80s and 90s. They didn't have a new vehicle waiting in the wings. There had been a lot of talk, a lot of speculation, a lot of rumors, but when it came down to it and they were kind of called to task, they didn't have anything ready to go. They were still making strides forward you know, in technology and in understanding and scientific discovery, but we were sort of moving at a different pace now than we used to. Um, where NASA and space travel and, 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 and the shuttles, that was sort of science fiction-y and it was futuristic. You know, now you kind of think about it and we're using more sophisticated technology on us every day than the space shuttle is using when they go into space. And that sort of distance causes problems. We, we've become far more interested now in instant gratification than we used to be. We went from gigantic car phones that cost a fortune and were sort of a statement of decadence and influence. I mean, if you remember the, the scene in Wall Street with the giant phone, I'm thinking of that because of the new trailer for Wall Street 2. Um, you know, we went from that to these common everyday smartphones that, that everyone owns. Millions of people own these. And they can do things that a desktop computer couldn't manage 20 years ago. Um, and the space shuttle is still using the same technology from rockets in the 60s. Uh, you know, we have on-demand television. We have on-demand movies, on-demand books, all delivered however we want them, whenever we want them, to our TVs, to our computers, to our phones, even to our cars, thanks to satellites that are orbiting in Earth, you know, orbiting the Earth. And... NASA made that possible. They paved the way. They did the hard work. But does anybody even know that anymore? And does anybody even care? And I think the answer, unfortunately, is no. You know, for for most people, they don't care. And so NASA, they're forced to retire the shuttle program. And it's due to safety. It's due to the age of the of the shuttles. It's due to the cost. You know, even though they were trying to cut costs and save some money, it didn't quite work out that way. Um, it, it ended up costing a little bit more than they had anticipated to launch the space shuttles. And then, of course, you know, um, losing people and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just horrible. So they're forced to retire the shuttle program. They're forced to commit to a day when they're going to, you know, retire the program. And they're caught with their pants down. Um, they, they didn't have something waiting in the wings. They didn't have a plan for, you know, what was the next step. And they were forced to come up with one. And, you know, what they came up with to continue manned American space travel and exploration into the new millennium was rockets. So they, they took a step back and they said, we're going to do rockets again. We're going to come up with new um, craft, new landers. We're going to need billions of dollars to do it, and our ultimate goal is going to be landing on the moon again um, with the possible destination of Mars in the near future if we can figure out stuff on the moon. That, that kind of went over like a Led Zeppelin. Um, the Constellation Program, as it's called, is meant to encapsulate several goals for NASA 
and returning the moon would just be one of those. I mean, when they look at the moon, they see it as a chance to extend human colonization, to further pursue scientific activities, um, to test new technologies, test systems, test flights, uh, all in a, a, a way to sort of engage the public again in manned space exploration. And when they're ready, possibly use the moon as a launching point to go to Mars. The problem is we're in a very different America now. Engaging the public, it's exactly what NASA needs to do if they want to continue to survive and, and be viable. But it's difficult right now to engage a public and get them behind spending billions of dollars for something when they're struggling to pay their own bills. President Obama, I mean, he saw it that way as well. And, and, you know, he's like, you're nuts. There's no way. And on February 1st, he released a budget that didn't include the funding that NASA needed in order to continue, which was, I think, a huge blow to NASA. And I think they're still reeling from that. I, I don't think that they expected that at all. And I'm hoping... I'm hoping that this is a wake-up call for NASA. And, and I'm hoping that, that they take away from this that they need to do something different. They can't just keep doing the same old thing and, and hope to continue. Um, Charles Bolden, who is the, the administrator for NASA, says that they're still going to go to Mars. And he's still going to fight for his funding and he's going to fight for the billions of dollars um, to go to the moon first and, and to, to develop these programs. But I don't think it's going to happen in today's economic climate. I think that they're going to have to do something different. They're going to have to. Um, the world has changed, and, and NASA needs to evolve or it's going to die. It's, it's as simple as that. The difference between a government-sponsored program and a privately funded program is the bottom line. And, and we're more concerned with the bottom line now as a country than we've ever been before. Uh, you know, We're not willing to just throw dollars at something anymore. We can't do it, you know. Um, not when there's things like Katrina hitting and, there, and there's, you know, people losing their houses and people losing their jobs and unemployment and recession. We're just, we're not there anymore. The various privately funded options that are in development right now, these are driven by profit. You may say to yourself, that's a bad thing. But, but why do you think that we have the smartphones that we have right now? Why do you think that we have the computers and the on-demand books and movies and television and all that kind of crap? It's because someone somewhere figured out that they can make money off of it. You know, it's the bottom line. It's the profit. It may suck. It may not exactly be what we want it to be. But at this point in, in, in our history, it's, it's what we have. It's, it's where we are. And it may be the only way to move human spaceflight forward. And that is what NASA needs to come to terms with. I, I think they're going to continue on. I, I don't think NASA's going away. But how they continue and in what capacity, I, I can't say. I, I don't know. But I, I, I know in my heart they're going to continue on. 
and while they do, you know, why they kind of sputter for a little bit until they find their direction again and find their focus, companies like Virgin are going to continue their private program. And, you know, other corporations are going to continue their strides forward and their programs to try to get, you know, space travel. And several other nations like Russia and the European Union and, you know, even Japan and possibly China are, are going to be going into space and doing stuff. You know, a, a lot of these other countries have the moon as a goal and they want to get up there and they want to see what they can do. And it may not be very palatable. It may not be the best situation, um, but it, it, it may mean that, that Americans are not the people who colonize the moon. You know, there. It, it, it's sad given our history, but it, it's true, and, and it's what's going on. And we just gonna, we're just going to have to live with it. Okay, that that was kind of a long segment, kind of, kind of a rant, and I apologize, but it was it was a lot to go through and a lot to talk about, and and I know it was a lot of history all at once, but but still, you know, it I wanted to go through it, so there you go. But let's go ahead and look at some other stuff that's going on, some other stuff that interested me. The whole Amazon Kindle iPod drama continues. Amazon has reinstated the links we talked about last time. So, you know, Quinn and I, were, we were talking about that kind of stuff, the buy links for the Macmillan titles and all that. Um, other publishers have have gone to the mat. They're, they're, you know, they're taking Amazon to task over pricing. So it, it's still sort of up in the air. Um, and, and I don't know where that's going to fall yet. It, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, especially when the iPad launches. Um, if you add to all of that... Uh, the fact that Apple is now pushing the the various networks, the very various content providers to to, to do ninety nine cent TV show episodes um, for the iPad. Um, App, Apple wants to ignite TV show sales the the same way they ignited music sales back back when they launched the iPod. And they want to do this by lowering the price per episode to ninety nine cents. This is meant to be launched in conjunction with the iPad itself, but Hollywood is, as usual, um, against it and unimpressed. Um, after all, from their point of view, if you're willing to pay $1.99 per episode, you'd probably pay $100 per episode, right? W- which would make them more money and, and make them feel more comfortable selling shows online because if we were all paying $100, then, then that would cover them from the four people who are pirating the show. Um, but lowering the price? <laughs> Cutting it in half? That's that's madness! You've all gone mad! What what cracks me up is the fact that we buy television shows at all. I think people have forgotten that these things were free for a very, very long time. A- advertisers paid for spots. The more popular the show, the higher the cost. And then those shows were broadcast over the airwaves to our television sets for free. Yes, we paid for cable, um, mostly to get a clear picture because rabbit ears suck. But the big three networks, they were all free once, um, ABC, NBC, CBS. N- now it's this it's become this huge industry. It's kind of like the way antivirus has grown up, you know. Um, it's 
sort of a necessary evil, I guess. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm all over it. I love, love being able to grab a season of a show all at once or multiple seasons of a show if I'm catching up, you know, and I've never watched it before. But I'm also cheap. And I will wait years, years if necessary, just so I don't have to pay more than 20 bucks for a season of a show. You know, once the show's not popular anymore, once people aren't rushing out to buy it and willing to spend 60 bucks for that season, that's when I go out and I pick them up for 20 bucks. Also, I love Sam's Club because when they actually have DVDs in stock, which isn't all the time because sometimes they suck, um, but when they do have them in stock, they tend to be cheap. Um, I got all my Stargate, uh, I think, there for like 20 bucks a pop, which was just awesome. As for Hollywood, they are still trying to figure out what works. And they're still trying to figure out really what they can live with. Um, they live with the $1.99 pricing because they, they aren't sure yet what we're willing to pay. And when they figure out what we're willing to pay, that's where the price point is going to get set. Um, but they don't want the $0.99 cent pricing because they're going to lose money. And they're going to lose money on the shows that the advertisers are paying for. So they're going to lose, I guess, the extra money that they make off of us because the shows are paid for by the, the advertising uh, and then, so, I don't know, it's very confusing. I was never very good at math. Meanwhile, Apple thinks that the new lower pricing will spur sales. And they'll make money hand over fist due to volume, just like they do with the music sales. Um, what do you think? I, I mean, would you buy more TV if it's at a lower price point, if it's at the 99 cent per episode? Do you think that they should change the pricing, should they charge more? Should they charge less? Where, where do you think the price point should be? You know, um, leave, leave me a comment on the blog and, and let's tally what some of you think because um, nosy minds want to know. Two comic books sold for over $2 million recently. First up, Action Comics number 1, featuring the very first appearance of the Man of Steel himself, sold at auction for a million dollars. Shortly thereafter, Detective Comics number 27, featuring the very first appearance of Batman, The Dark Knight. Hey, I could play him in a movie. Um, or at least in an animated movie, because I can do the dark voice. That sold for a million seventy-five. 75.5, so 1.755, I guess is how you'd say that. Uh, anyway, what does this mean? What, what does this mean to comic books, to the world? Absolutely nothing. Um, it just means that people with way too much money on their hands tend to spend money on silly, silly things. I doubt this will spur another run on comics like we saw in the late 80s through the 90s. It's just one of those fun little blippy things where people are spending tons of money. Woohoo! Alrighty, and, and lastly this week, I wanted to take a little musical interlude. And actually, I've decided, you know, moving forward that I'm going to do this much more. And uh, share a little bit more music in these things. And try to introduce you to the bands and artists that I love. So that you'll go out and buy their stuff, and then they'll make more, and then I'll get more music from them. Because they're like, wow, people are suddenly buying, you know, more and more of my old stuff. And I guess I should make new stuff, and then I'll be happy. Neat plan, huh? 
This week, I'd like to talk about Kenny Wayne Shepherd. I first became aware of Kenny Wayne Shepherd in 2003 when he came to Chattanooga, Tennessee as the headliner for Riverbend, an annual music festival held in the heart of the city and just off the river. It's a great experience and a fantastic music festival. I highly recommend it if you're ever in the area. Anyway, I, I had no idea who Kenny Wayne Shepherd was at the time, and I was going to this thing, so I, I kind of wanted to know who he was. I started looking up his stuff. And it turns out that the uh, KWS band, as they're called, um, was a blues rock band, which was right up my alley. I love that kind of stuff. And Kenny was the lead guitarist, but uh, Noah Hunt was the lead singer. So I thought, okay, you know, let me check these guys out. I bought a couple of their CDs. And uh, one of the first songs that really stuck out to me was something called Blue on Black. I love that song <laughs> so much so that um, it's one of the ones that I play quite a bit whenever I decide to pull out the old guitar and play a song. Blue on Black, and it appears on Kenny's Trouble Is album, which is actually his second album. The first was called Leadbetter Heights and had some great tunes on it, too. Um, he's done several since then, including Live On, The Place You're In, and Ten Days Out, Blues from the Back Roads. Chapel Hill, you gotta drink alcohol to the boogie. Do the Chapel Hill boogie. Do the Chapel Hill boogie. Run the boogie all night long. I was staying on a corner with a glass in my hand. She come by and said, Who, that's my man, dude. Chapel Hill boogie.
His first three albums were, in my opinion, utterly fantastic. I, I really loved him. I, I was really impressed. I, I love the progression of his style over time. Um, but, but by the time he had headlined at Riverbend in 2003, Kenny was being compared to guitar greats like Stevie Ray Vaughan, and, and just as Stevie had been compared to Jimi Hendrix before him. Um, and just like Stevie had done himself, um, Kenny decided to sort of embrace those comparisons um, and, and, and take some of those songs and make them his own. And he competed in a contest and won the right to tour with Double Trouble, which was Stevie Ray Vaughan's backup band, um, and play their songs. So that was kind of really cool at Riverbend. Kenny Wayne Shepherd got out there and he played the songs that I was learning, you know, from his CDs. And then they announced Double Trouble, who came out on stage. And, you know, Kenny played the guitar solos on Stevie's songs and Noah sang them. And it was just it was just amazing. And I know that they they still tour with Double Trouble today um, from time to time and, and, and do those same kinds of sets, which is just just awesome if you can catch them live. Unfortunately, I think that Kenny made a misstep when he released released um, the place you're in, which was in 2004. I've read different interviews with Noah and different ones, and they kind of said that he was under under you know pressure to become more commercial, more rock oriented, kind of poppy, uh, you know, and and to kind of do the Hollywood thing, which is just just terrible um noah was gone for all but a couple of songs um there was a horrible duet with uh kenny and kid rock the other thing was they were kenny was pressured to sing his own songs and and i'm not saying he doesn't have a good voice i just don't know if it's as strong in fact i know it's not as strong as noah and so it's kind of hard you know to kind of make that transition it, it it just wasn't I don't know. Here, take a listen. It ain't wrong to feel so strong when you think you got it going on. Life has a way of making you pay to the club where we all belong. Now you're free to believe 
that the good life is guaranteed. But watch your step, cause it's a safe bet. You're gonna end up on your knees. You're gonna get The place you're in didn't do as well, and I think Kenny realized that. And, and I, I again, I read some interviews with Noah where Noah's like, "You know what? They kind of pressured him into doing that. He did it, but he wasn't happy with it." And and so what happened was it inspired him, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, um, to return to his roots of of the blues. And next, we saw him release uh, Ten Days Out. Blues from the Backroads, which which was a companion piece with a documentary, uh, documentary and album that found Kenny traveling the country to meet these blues pioneers and heroes of his own um, and play with them. And it, it wasn't really spotlighting Kenny Wayne Shepherd; it was spotlighting these blues legends. And he sort of stayed in the background. He played with them. He was very humble. Um, he was humbled by by just the people that he was he was sharing the microphone with, and, and sharing the guitars with, and sharing the music. And I mean, he had people like BB King, Etta Baker, Gatemouth Brown, Cootie Stark. The the list just goes it goes on and on. And you know, here take take a listen from that album. Oh, 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 oh. Call me Pine Chop Perkins. Some of them call me Grindy Man. Some of them call me Pine Chop Perkins. Some of them call me the Grindy Man. Let you have it quiet and easy. I'll let you have it on an easy plan. This this return to his roots, to his blues roots, to to meeting his idols and, and getting back to the basics, really brought Kenny Wayne Shepherd back full circle. 
Um, he he's touring again with Noah. He, he's touring with Double Trouble. He he's opening for groups like Aerosmith, Bob Dylan, the Eagles, um, Leonard Skinner. Uh, he's playing these major music festivals all around the world, and and he's he's kind of gotten back to blues and rock. So hopefully, um, if you don't already have some of Kenny Wayne Shepard's music, um, this little bit that I've done um, will we'll get you to kind of go out and get some. I, I highly recommend that you pick them up. Uh, everything that I've played is available for download either via iTunes or Amazon.com. It's sometimes bluesy, always rocking. It's the Kenny Wayne Shepard Band. Check it out. And all right, that is it. We're calling this podcast done. Join me next time for more crazy, interesting things, all from my brain. Uh, and in the meantime, if you get bored, if you're looking for something else, you know, to kind of um, tease your brain with, check out the blog, atfmb.com. That's all things from my brain. Or feel free to follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash atfmb. And scene. <laughs>